Most people have heard of phytoestrogens, but did you know there are beneficial phytoandrogens that mimic and support testosterone and more? The top source of these is pine pollen. If you're looking for 100% natural hormonal support for men and women, you've got to try this. Right now, Lost Empire Herbs' best-selling pine pollen is available for one penny plus shipping and handling. Go to GeniusPollen.com to find out more and grab yourself a bag today. No hidden charges, no trial offer, no shenanigans. Just a low-cost way to try Lost Empire Herbs' top product for next to nothing. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Alexander Thull. He's the co-founder and CEO of Dive Design. I'm going to talk about 3D printed prosthetics. So, Alexander, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, Rich. Appreciate it. If you were background and what got you interested in prosthetics, yeah, definitely. Um, and I'll give you a little bit of clarity too. Dive Design is our parent company and 3D Pets is the prosthetics company that I also head up. But a little bit about my background, I studied industrial design with my business partner, Adam Hecht at Philadelphia University. Uh, we graduated in 2019 and industrial design is really the intersection of art and engineering. And so we're tasked with helping develop physical products for the real world and helping them get manufactured. Yeah, for people that do industrial engineering or industrial design, so they can go into prosthetics, what else could they go into? Just out of curiosity, if you have that degree. That's the beauty of the degree is you can go into a whole slew of different things. People go into furniture, they go into lighting, they go into prosthetic design, they go into traditional product design, whether it be home goods, they can go into automotive, they can go into boat design. It's really quite an eclectic field. It really depends where you want to land and what you want to do. So why prosthetics? What attracted you to it? <laughs> so that's uh, one part of our company, but really what attracted us was the complex problem that needed to be solved more than anything. And we thought that our skills in design and, and our problem solving techniques would be a really good way to try and figure out uh, a good solution for the industry. But to give a little clarity on the problem when it first was presented to us, the way of making traditional full limb replacements for animals that specifically dogs that had lost a front leg was to wrap them in a an ace-like bandage that would basically harden to create a mold of their chest cavity. And the orthodisprosthetists or whoever was making these would wrap them up with duct tape and fill them with about 30, 40 pounds of plaster, plaster of Paris. And they would end up carving them, shaping them, heating up molten plastic, wrapping it over the mold. Really messy, really time-consuming. It took about 15 hours to build just one device uh, for one dog. And it didn't make sense from a business standpoint. The outcomes were less than ideal. And so almost nobody offered it. But there's a huge need for it. There's a, a huge number of amputations every single day, whether it be uh, from osteosarcoma, which is bone cancer, or uh, accidents. Um, dogs are unfortunately losing limbs constantly. And so for us, it was, you know, how can we bring technology into the mix to potentially create a solution for this? 
And coming from the design background, we said, you know, we, we know about 3D printing, we know about 3D scanning, we know about custom algorithms, and we know um, design aesthetics. You know, how can we bring all those pieces together to create a product that works? But even if you get an exact replica, the dimensions and all that are perfect, I would think some of the problems would be like the interface with the, um, the prosthetic, with the, you know, the rest of the dog, the weight-bearing aspect, the actuation of it. I, I guess there's like tons of factors, right? Uh, yeah, you're spot on. Um, the, the biggest problem too was even if they were able to make the mold, it was the alignment of the leg. They didn't get it right on the first shot. They basically had to start from scratch. And so when we were building out the system, we built it in a way that was semi-modular that allowed for adjustments on the fly, so to speak. So as the pet got more used to the prosthetic or as they grew, what have you, the device would be able to be modified slightly to accommodate. Yeah, I lost you for a second. Can you hear me still? Yep, I gotcha. So I guess maybe we can go like issue by issue. So the interface of the prosthetic and the dog's, you know, stump or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know what the name is for it, but what are some of the issues surrounding that? Yeah, so typically the way it would work um, and the reason that these products exist is for dogs that lost their entire limb or almost the entire limb. And when I say almost, I mean they have maybe an inch or two of remaining limb left. Uh, and so traditionally you couldn't attach a partial limb prosthetic because there wasn't enough of the limb remaining to attach anything to. And so the device that had been trying to be developed just took so much time and material. It was really difficult to properly mold to the dog's uh, torso, um, and also accommodate for a little bit of growth or, um, weight change, things like that. So we designed the algorithm. It's basically a, a digital program that takes a 3D scan of either the dog or the dog's mold. Uh, we enter in a few parameters like their weight, where the leg needs to be positioned, and a few other small details. And the program basically goes to work dictating where there's going to be strength and where there's going to be weakness in the design. And where there's weakness, it allows for flexibility. So it doesn't actually mean that the device is weak. It just means that there's flexibility in the material. So where the chest cavity is, there's a lot of flexibility. So when they're breathing, it can expand and contract with them. If there's a little bit of weight gain or weight loss. It can expand and or contract with that. And where the leg mounts, there's a lot of rigidity built in and it harnesses the strength of the rib cage to create the structure for the harness and for where the leg mounts. Um, so that's really how we uh, accommodated the challenge of, of the adaption to the, to the body. But how much better is it if you do all these things and what is it still lacking? What is our design currently lacking? Yeah, like if you take a traditional design or one of your early ones versus now, how much better is it? And then what are some of the still the outstanding issues where the dog, you know, gotcha. I would guess it's not going to be as good as their regular leg. So, so when we were introduced... Yeah, I got you. So when we were introduced to the problem, the way they were being built was with really rigid plastic that was lined with about three quarters of an inch of foam. So not only did it not flex and move with the body of the dog, it didn't allow uh, for breathability. So the skin couldn't breathe and it would become moist and it could create sores. And so our design, which um, I'm sure you've seen, has a lattice pattern to it. So there's a ton of holes all throughout the design that allow for breathability. And the material that we use, TPU, is a flexible material. But when printed in specific ways, you can get a lot of rigidity and flexibility out of it. Um, and so that's really how we differentiated ourselves and solved uh, those problems. And to your point, we're constantly evolving the product. Every single year, it gets uh, just better and better in terms of what our attachment points look like, what the modularity is that we build into the devices, what the attachments are that we offer, uh, and so forth. 
how do you anchor it? Do you have to have like a wrap around the rib cage of the dog plus attachment points on the leg? Like, how do you make sure that it goes on there and stays on there? And when they, you know, can they walk with it? You know, how do you deal with the compression and the, the torsion and all that stuff at the, uh, you know, at the site? Yeah, absolutely. So because we're taking a mold of their chest cavity, the device that we produce is an exact replica of their torso. It's specific to that single dog only uh, and no other animal. And so for those reasons, we almost immediately minimize any risk of uh, sores or pressure in the wrong areas or poor fit, which are the leading causes to failures with these devices. And they're meant to allow dogs to get back and be mobile again. We, they are used for walks. They're used for runs, for hikes. We have a ski attachment for dogs that are in colder climates that need to swap out the foot in the summertime for the ski in the wintertime. We have a wheel attachment for more geriatric cases that would have trouble or have trouble with their movement existing. So we've really adapted the product for all different instances. Oh, so in some cases, that's not even a leg and a foot. It's like a wheel or a it's ski. Correct. Yeah. So you still have that traditional cool. leg that comes down, but we've got different attachments for the different terrains. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. What, so what comes up where, uh, you know, again, at the interface part, uh, what, what issues are still outstanding? What comes up to confound it or, you know, does it rub on the, the interface and cause bleeding or anything? Or is it like, what, what are the potential issues that can arise? We don't have any abrasion issues. Those are things that we tackled very early on, and that all came down to the fitment of the device. But because it's a snug fit and it's a replica of the torso, we don't have abrasive issues. We don't have wearing of the skin, and we don't have any bleeding, um, which is excellent because those things did occur in some of what other companies had produced when uh, they first launched these types of products. So that really addresses a lot of the issues with the interface The way that we have the device structured allows it to pivot forward and backward a bit. So when they're taking a step, the device will actually pivot backwards just slightly. And then as they're swinging forward, it pivots forward with them. And so those are a little bit of the smarts that were designed into it. Um, What was your second question? I'm sorry. Most supplements are taken on faith and can take weeks or months to have an effect. Even supplements backed by scientific studies may or may not deliver those same benefits to you. But what if you could feel the results of what you took within just a few days? Lost Empire Herbs offers the highest quality, wild-harvested, non-irradiated pine pollen, and that can dramatically impact your hormones fast. Right now, you can grab it for one cent plus shipping and handling at GeniusPollen.com. Are there any, like, what are the remaining issues at the interface site or with, uh, you know, these prosthetics in general? The again, it sounds like you've iterated a lot, but what's left? Yeah, we are working. So we have a few prototypes currently of a folding leg. So dogs are able to better lay down with the device on. They can currently, but they have to be leaning on the side with their good leg. Um, what's really cool is they can still get up and down with the prosthetic on, but it's a, um, it's a static leg. And so we're designing in joints that would allow them to lay down in a more natural position. Um, one of the other cool. things we are working on, so our feet are shock absorbing. Uh, so they take a grunt of the impact for every step. So rather than transferring that impact up to the chest cavity, the foot takes a majority of that, but we're looking to advance that even further by putting an actual coil over like suspension into the leg. It's not necessary, but we just think that that'd be a really cool advancement in this space. One of the other devices that uh, we don't offer, but we get asked for all of the time are rear limb prosthetics. 
It's a much, much more challenging area to design around, but it's something that we have three prototypes out in the field with right now that we're testing. Well, also too, you wouldn't want too much weight to be taken off because you'd you'd probably preferentially torsion the rib cage over time with millions of movements and and you know compressions. So I would think you'd have to make it equal that both legs take kind of an equal amount of weight. Again, otherwise you might get these um, resultant shears and stresses in the skeleton over time. That's a really problems. yeah no you're it's a really great um, assumption and it's pretty spot on. Uh, we work with some really amazing orthotists, prosthetists, and vets that kind of help us as we go through the design process. So th- these by no means are guesses that we make. Uh, and we do, we go through quite a number of reviews too, as we're developing a new product or advancing an existing one. So understanding the anatomy and understanding how our devices interface with the anatomy uh, is always something that we're uh, examining. What about um, an assist if a given leg has, um, you know, problems in it, if it can't bear weight, like it once did, could you do like maybe like a partial exoskeleton? So instead of being a prosthetic to replace a limb, what if you have a partial prosthetic to augment a limb's function to support it more, et cetera? Yeah, no. So there's companies like uh, one of the companies we work with is called My Pets Brace. And that's exactly what they do. And, and it's more of a bracing setup than anything. But that's exactly what they're doing is just giving support to an existing limb that is maybe having um, issues, whether it's hyperextension of, of one of the joints or arthritis that's where really the bracing comes into play here. But just to, to remind you too, Rich, the, the whole goal of the prosthetics is to reduce the strain that is on the remaining limb. 60% of a dog's weight is on the front legs. So when you remove one of that, you're putting all 60% of that weight on one remaining limb. And so the chances of hyperextension in the wrist joint becomes much greater. The development of arthritis goes way up. And so the goal of the prosthetics is to alleviate half of that pressure or at least some of that pressure on that remaining limb. Uh, so the deterioration either doesn't take place or happens at a much slower rate. Yeah, no, that's good. Do you guys do prosthetics for people? It sounds like your prosthetics are probably better than what's on the market for people, but I don't know. <laughs> so it's funny you ask, we had gotten into that space actually. Um, but unfortunately, it's so well dictated by the insurance companies uh, and they're not very open to innovation and pushing things forward. It's really difficult to innovate and bring the powers of 3D printing into that space. Um, we do have a, a few devices that are 3D printed on human beings that they had paid for themselves, which is pretty neat. But unfortunately, until insurance wants to change their ways, it's, it's going to be a slow, slow go for that. Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD, and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the uh, you know the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. Insurance didn't cover it. If someone wanted to do cash pay, what would be the ballpark price of a prosthetic that you guys would make? Would it be like 
tens of thousands or is it not too bad? No, we'll, so we'll work directly with an orthotist prosthetist on this and they'll contract us to 3D print the design that they come up with alongside us. But a prosthetic socket can range anywhere from uh, $700 to $2,000, depending on the complexity of it. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Um, do you guys instrument the prosthetics so you can see in real time, like the, uh, you know, the gait pattern, the weight, the stresses, the shears, you might... I'm sure you can gather all kinds of cool info by doing that. They have um, they have a really cool product out now. It's uh, basically a, I think it's like a 15 foot mat that actually tracks the gait of an animal or human being. And you can actually see the differences over time of wearing a prosthetic or a brace and not wearing one. And the studies that have been done are really incredible. So let's use, let's use a dog, for instance. Um, you talked about the exoskeleton and I'll reference that to the bracing They've done studies. There's a company down in Maryland, VOSM, has done gait analysis studies on dogs that don't wear a brace for, I think, a number of six or seven weeks. And then they build a brace for the dog and they put the brace on the affected limb. And over the course of those six, seven weeks, you can see vast improvements in their gait, in their tracking, and where the pressure points on their limbs are. So it's very clear that the devices are making a difference. Yeah, I guess you could also see the habituation pattern. You know, when you put a prosthetic on a dog, what does it look like the first few days, the first week, the first month? Absolutely. How do things change over time? And what do they settle into? You know? Yeah. Well, obviously every dog is very different, but what's really cool is a lot of times they're compensating. So the one remaining limb is actually sitting dead center below their nose. And when you put a device on them, you can actually start to see that leg go back to its normal resting position off to uh, one of the other sides, which is indicating that they're starting to bear weight on the prosthetic. And so that's what we always look for. And we, it, we tell our clients to look for too, as they're going through the training process uh, and, and teaching the dog how to use the device. Yeah, that's really cool. Is, is there any, uh, again, do you do like a lot of data gathering or? Is well, we're actually working on that. So expensive? no, um, so our devices range from $1,500 to $1,900 in terms of the prosthetics. And we started out as a pretty small team. We started our company with $200 in business cards and everything from then is just been growth by our wonderful partners and our, our awesome clients. And so as we continue to grow, data is going to be a huge part of it. I talked about the gate analysis tracking. Those are studies that we're looking to set up and get started with uh, to even further prove the point that these devices are making a difference. But um, it's a lot of the testimonials that we get from our, our clients and some of the vets and, and technicians that we work with that prove out the fact that these devices are making a difference. But yeah, absolutely data. Yeah. What are some of the testimonials say? Like anything in them that surprised you that was unexpected? How much I think what is most surprising is how much it has changed not only the owner's lives, but what they see to be their pets' lives in terms of their mobility. So um, one example that we have on our website is by uh, the family, the Hopples. They have a dog named Tico who was, an abusive fam- who was in an abusive family um, and because of the abuse lost a limb. And um, they had contacted us because they had noticed a great slowdown in her mobility, uh, how far she was able to walk and, and to what extent she would, she would go out on terrain. Um, they're a very active family. And so they had uh, purchased a device with low expectations on their part. Obviously, we try and set them very moderately when we talk with people who've never done this before. And Tika, their dog has just been wildly successful. She's a role model for a lot of our 
other candidates. She's got the wheel attachment. She's got the ski attachment for the winter time. And it's just incredible. One of the other really great cases we have is a dog named Jack who lives in New York City. Him and his owner would go on about four or five mile hikes every week throughout Central Park in New York City. And now they're doing about 15, 18 miles a week with the device. So hearing stories like that and being able to see the longevity and and how much the product can withstand a beating like that has been really reassuring. Yeah. And how, what's the lifetime expected use of these prosthetics so far? The harnesses we expect to get about five to seven years out of, and the feet we expect to get, depending on the use, between nine months to a year and a half out of. The feet are a $45 replacement part on our website. It's like tires on a car, if you will. What does the foot look like? Does it look like a dog's paw or have you found other? It does not look like a dog's paw. It looks, uh, if you imagine a U and the top of the U are pointed in towards each other, that's kind of the shape of the foot. And we designed it that way because as it takes a step, it compresses in a very natural manner to absorb a lot of that impact. We found that through our studies to be the best way to do this. And we offer a few different sizes depending on the size of the dog. So it's like a, a, a teardrop that you make impact and it kind of rolls. Exactly. Maybe, yeah, uh, teardrop you know, is 30, a 30 degrees on the bottom of it. Correct. Oh, interesting. And I guess you have to design that too. Like uh, what's the width of the teardrop and... You know, once it strikes, how long is the strike time, et cetera, all that. We have been, we've been working on the feet since day one. We're on version six or seven, if I'm not mistaken, of a production foot. Uh, And I'd say every four or five months we go through a revision um, just because we continue to see how they can evolve and be better. Uh, And because they get replaced, not frequently, but often people continue to get the, the more uh, updated designs, which is great. Yeah, you know, you know how years ago they had trackball ma- a mouse through your computer. I wonder <laughs> if you can make like a trackball uh, implant if that would work better, or you know what happens with lateral motion or eccentric, you know, diagonal type motions. How does it handle it? So because we're using the structure of the rib cage and we're using how do I describe this? We have a provision for the the good existing leg. It keeps the device very much in place. So we don't see it swaying to the left or the right or inward or outward. And it was by design, but it was also based on what the orthotist prosthetist had been telling us how to design this based on what they had seen with human prosthetics. So there's a lot of influence that comes from human prosthetic design to minimize how much swing we get when they're moving the leg. What about going back up the chain, your learnings? What if you talk to the vets that do the amputations and you say, hey, when you amputate, try to get this shape of the remaining limb, if you can shave it this way and that way, because it'll better be uh, ready for a prosthetic. You know, what's really interesting is a majority of vets that we have interacted with um, aren't privy to the devices that are able to be made. And it's not until we tell them what we're doing and what we're working on that they become keen to it. And unfortunately, there's still a lot of people in the industry that are resistant to change. You know, if they didn't hear about it in school, they're not going to be, um, you know, bringing it into their practice. And that, that's that been very challenging for us to hear, in all honesty, um, because we meet some really amazing vets through this process, ones that are very open to change and, and offering their clients the best. But there's still a lot of resistance um, that we're trying to overcome with education. But uh, for those that we do speak with and that are in our network, if they 
need anything above the elbow, uh, we'll tell them to just take the entire limb. It's easier for us to work off of uh, the chest than having um, a remaining limb because we're not able to build a socket for that. It's just, it's typically not long enough for us to have any attachment points for. So, you know, yeah, what about getting the, um, the pet parents involved early? Like as a pet pet owner, do you know beforehand typically that your dog's going to have an amputation and can, you know, let's say they, they know beforehand and you're able to get to them and they say, yes, I want a prosthetic because, you know, Fluffy's going to get his arm cut off. Um, can they then instruct the vet and say, Hey, we've already set up a prosthetic after this procedure. We want to make sure you're doing X, Y, Z so that the prosthetic will have the best chance of fitting. Therefore, you know, we're going to pay you for this bet, but we want you to do this that, and the other. Is that yeah, possible? Great point. Great question. I think what we found in this is that there's a really fine line we walk with selling and providing good information. And there's a balance because when you're trying to provide good information, I think sometimes it can come across as a sales pitch. Uh, and that's really not the goal. You know, we're, we're, we're obviously here to keep the business running and grow and, and continue to innovate, but we're not here to try and force people into getting a device or something they're not familiar with. But we do have a number of people that do reach out. As soon as they know that the vet is prescribing an amputation, people are on their computers doing as much research as they possibly can. They're joining the forums. They're joining the, uh, the Reddit groups to figure out um, what other people have gone through, how they've coped, what they do, what they find success with. So that's really where a lot of the awareness comes from. And we're very plugged into those communities, thankfully. Um, so a lot of people do go into this prepared. But again, like a lot of people don't. They, they listen to what their vets say. And in a lot of senses, what they say goes. So it, it, it's a balance. Is it hard for certain breeds? Like if you have a teacup chihuahua versus a mastiff, you know, are you able to accommodate a huge range of different uh, morphologies of the dogs and sizes and weights? Yeah, great question. So we do accommodate a really wide range, um, but either end of the spectrum can be very tough. When you have a one and a half pound chihuahua, which we have done at least four or five devices for, it can be very challenging because the device has to weigh less than the dog's weight. And so when we were doing our first one in terms of a one and a half pound chihuahua, uh, it took like three or four iterations to get the weight to, I think less than half a pound was our, our end uh, result. But that was extremely challenging and it took a lot of time and a lot of research and development to get to. One, one thing on the opposite side of the spectrum that we haven't achieved yet is with Great Danes. We're doing a case right now as a bit of a trial, but because they are so tall and so large, the fidelity of the device can, can sometimes be diluted. And so what I mean by that is when you have a leg that turns out to be 30 inches long, it becomes a pendulum and starts swinging and, and having control of which direction that goes in can be extremely challenging. So, um, yeah, either, I guess you'd probably preferentially weight the weight the leg more the body to avoid the pendulum. But then if you don't weight it enough at the bottom, yeah, exactly. a lot of uh, interesting constraints. <laughs> yeah. So when a dog weighs between, let's say, uh, 20 and 80 pounds, that's like the key place to be. Uh, and, and believe it or not, that's where a majority of the cases do fall. Um, there's always the outliers and we try and really figure that, figure out a solution for them. But we've done, you know, we've done all different types of cases. The main job that we work on are front limb prosthetics for dogs, but we've done ducks, we've done tortoises, we've done goat helmets. It's quite the spectrum. Are animals uh, left pawed or right pawed? 
is there no preferential uh, pog or anything? I don't know. Maybe question, they- Rich, that's a good question. I don't know. I have to assume that, you know, maybe they take preference, you know, like for dogs that give paw, maybe they'll typically reside on one side than the other. So I think there may be some truth to that. Yeah, because the musculature might be different, like in a person. I don't know. It just came to mind because my, yeah, my no, daughter has a service dog. I don't know if I'm and, the right person to answer that. I would. I think I'd have to consult with some of our experts to uh, tell you. Well, it might be something to put into your head. You know, maybe it would it would further help you tweak these to be even better. You know, who knows? Yeah, potentially. Um, what, yeah. What What is the average weight of the leg part that is amputated? Like, what range do you have to work in for a twenty to eighty pound dog? I would guess the leg is what, like two pounds or so. A uh, dog's leg can be between two to four or five pounds, depending um, on the muscle and the build and how much they weigh. But our devices come in less than that. Um, for let's say a fifty-pound dog, our device will weigh about a pound, maybe a pound and a quarter, um, and they'll they go by ratio. So if the dog gets lighter, our devices are always typically lighter than the, the dog. It's it's once you get down to the Chihuahuas that <laughs> they start to balance out, and you need to be very cautious how much material you're adding in and where and what, you know, and I'll give you an example. So with the Chihuahuas, instead of using um, metal hardware, we ended up using uh, nylon hardware um, just to bring the weight down even further. Uh, and we were able to reduce it by a few ounces, but that was just enough to get us to a point where it was usable. So we really have to think outside of the box sometimes. Yeah. Cause I'm imagining the dog stepping. So if like, uh, let's say the dog's leg weighs, four pounds and you replace it with a quarter pound one again as it steps now the the weight of the leg is less so it's pulling down correct on the rest of the dog less so again over time that might create distortion so maybe you have to match the actual weight of the leg as well well you know what's interesting about this that's what a lot of people assume and it makes a lot of sense but it's typically not that way so in human prosthetics and orthotics they'll actually they want the legs to to weigh less they have to have some weight to them but i have a friend of mine who's an amputee and i was talking with her very recently and her leg weighs about 10 pounds that less than what a human leg weighs and even then she says that it's extremely heavy and and tiresome and she's got a, a lighter weight leg you know, in your closet. So it's interesting. And a lot of people make that assumption, but that's not the way it needs to go sometimes. Huh. Very interesting. Well, so what would be the difference in a dog that normally has a four pound leg? Let's say it's like a, you know, half pound versus a dog that would have a, a two pound leg. And now it's a half pound, you know, there's a big difference in the weight differential. So do you notice any difference in the performance? If there's more of a weight differential? Your point has merit um, and it has merit because you need to replicate some of that weight so that the mass uh, of the dog and their musculature and the development of, of the rib cage, if they're still growing, is uniform to some extent. And when you have weight on that side, uh, wherever the amputation was, it can help develop properly, especially spinal alignment. But you don't want it to be so light that it, how do I describe this? You can't have it be too light because it doesn't replicate having the real leg. And if it's too heavy, it can cause them to be imbalanced and cause more damage than, than good potentially. Yeah. In terms, if you As I talk to you, I'm like, Oh, there's that factor. There's this factor. Oh, there's oh this it's factor. unreal, isn't it? <laughs> but it's very challenging and interesting. It is is a lot of fun to think through and find solutions for the challenges that we, we run into. Um, And I think that's the beauty of design is that we get to 
to come up with those. That's why we went to school is to solve really complex problems. And so while we do have a solution, it, it is constantly unveiling new issues that we can work through and, and come up with solutions for. So yeah, exactly to your point. Hmm. So if a, if a owner has you know a dog with this prosthetic and they've had it for like three years and you guys come up with a new foot, can they upgrade? Like, is your design modular enough that it's like a chassis that can be upgraded or is it have to yes. be redone totally? Yep. That was a goal from ours from the very start that every, any device that we make can be upgraded to be as new or as modern. Some of our legacy devices, some of the first ones we ever made would need to be replaced, but we typically will do a retrofit and have to be remade, but uh, we can modify some of the components to work. Yeah, I just thought it's funny. It's a leg seat device, but bad joke. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, you know, that's a cool part, Rich, though. I mentioned the ski and the wheel attachment earlier today. That's that's what's so neat about this is um, you don't need to buy a new device every time if you want to add on to it. You know, so if we're to come out with new attachments, we design them to be modular with the devices that are out there on the market that people have. You know, I, we're not we're not big fans of um, wasteful design, if you will, uh, which is basically not to throw a certain brand under the bus, but Keurig, you know, it's a non-serviceable product. When it's made, it's supposed to work. And when it stops working, it's meant to be thrown out. We do not believe in that. And so for those reasons, we're very much the opposite in how we think and how we design. Hmm. Is there, um, is there any point in having a program where, you know, if the dog passes away that, uh, they can donate the leg back and it could be given maybe to another dog or modified, or is there anything like that that you have? What we actually do with legs that, thankfully, that has only happened twice in the 300 devices that we've built. But what we do is we actually send them out as what we call demo products. Because they can't be used on any other dog because they're completely custom, we send them out to the vets and we send them out to the orthotic clinics so that they can have samples on hand to see how they work and show their potential clients as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, they, they, always, they always get a second life one way or another. So you say they're completely custom, but... I don't know. Do you think at some point you could get to a lower priced, good enough leg where let's say there's like 17 parameters that have, uh, you know, three settings each. Do you think that you could get an approximate customization, but not a hundred percent, you know, for certain applications? One of the things you mentioned earlier was data. And so uh, as we continue to build these devices and our database grows, we start to be able to come up with uh, generalizations in terms of size and weight and things like that. And so I do think that one day we'll be able to not take away the customization, but simplify the process where it allows us to continue to bring the price point down. But, you know, that's a, that's a topic of controversy for a lot of people. Um, we have a lot of people that reach out to us and say, I can't believe how affordable a device like this is considering they just spent you know $10,000 on a surgery. And then, of course, we have the other end of the spectrum where people are uh, taken ba- taken aback by the cost of the, the device. So it's it's kind of funny that um, we've got such a balance like that. You know, we think it's very well priced considering that we're able to put the money back into the design and still cover our expenses. And yet we still are able to offer it to a, a wide range of people. And we offer payment plans and things like that. But it's it's a really interesting topic, the, the price of it. Yeah. Well, very cool. So where can people find out more? So if you're interested in learning more about the animal prosthetics, head over to that website, which is 3dpetsprosthetics.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. 
at 3d.pets. And if you're interested in, in learning more about our skills in 3D printing in general, and you have something that you think uh, could be harnessed using that technology, you can reach out to us at info at divedesignco.com. Uh, I'm Alex, I'm one of the co-founders of that company. Um, and yeah, I think that's the best way to reach us. You can also find Dive Design on Instagram and Facebook uh, at Dive Design Co. Hey, this has been a really great call. I really appreciate you coming on and really doing a great service for the world. So thank I appreciate you, it, Rich. Thanks for having me on and uh, great questions. Thank you. Remember, before you go, to grab your one penny bag of pine pollen for all the amazing, all natural hormonal support that men and women the world over are raving about. Try it out and see how it works for you. All you have to do is head to geniuspollen.com to grab your bag today. Within days, you may be able to notice greater energy, more focus, added recovery, and more. Again, please visit geniuspollen.com to learn more now. Thank you. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.